0: Welcome to another Back in Business podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and
1: podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist Liz Barkley and we're knee deep in the details of the budget and we have guests to help us unpick it uh, and what it means for you and your small business and your self-employment. So um, Mickey, Simon McVicker, our... Oh, no, yeah. Affairs, yeah. Policy, and Communications Director, and Declan Curry, our business editor. Who um, speaks they talked about the budget on Wednesday at six o'clock. Um, I haven't. We haven't heard what your main takeaway is from it.
0: Do, do you know, it's, it's the first budget probably for about fifty budgets that I didn't actually sit and listen to um, because I think a lot of it was so very predictable. Um, you know, this is this is what we're achieving, and this is what we're going to have to pay for. But I sat there probably this morning and thought to myself, here we go again. And I thought back to the brilliant George Osborne, that's his middle name. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, we went through, what was it, 10 years of austerity? For exactly what? <laughs> we're, we're back to square one or back even further than when we started. So we've got to do it all over again. And you get to the stage, perhaps you're getting old and cynical, where you think, balancing the books, does it, does it really matter? because we seem to have been balancing them since the end of the Second World War and not doing a very good job. I know it's a difficult task that the government's faced. I don't think any of us would have wanted to do have undertaken it. Um, but it is a bit wearing sometimes when you think about what we've gone through, what we've had to try and achieve, and now we're going to have to do it all again. And as I said before, this debt is going to take years and years and years to pay off. In fact, I'll make a, a forecast. I'll be dead for the time it's finished. So, you know, it's as simple as that. It's it's which, a long way, a long way off. Which
2: bookies are going to take those odds? <laughs> the stupid ones, there aren't many of them.
1: <laughs> well, um, I, I, I was a bit disappointed because uh, yes, there was something in there for skills and so on. As you know, how, how concerned I am about how people are going to move from the jobs that they had into the jobs that might be created Um, But I was a bit concerned. My big word, wasn't enough. Uh, Yes, and it is. It's it's, it's a
0: five-year business plan, basically. Um, You know, and at the end of the five years, if this government is still in in you know power, uh, we're going to be facing an almighty tax hike, both in corporation tax and personal taxation. Um, You know, the biggest since probably the the steepest tax rise since the, the 60s, um, which isn't going to please a lot of people. And, you know, we fought so hard to say that people on lower incomes shouldn't be taxed too hard, and yet here we go, they're being dragged into it. And, and those that are earning a reasonable amount of money are going to be paying more tax because they're going to be sucked into the higher tax bracket. What, what annoyed me about it was a lot of it was stealth tax, whatever you want to call it. It's the sneaky way of doing it, in other words, where you don't have to make
1: yourself too unpopular
0: because no one really understands it.
1: Well, I think I was just about to say that. There will be a lot of people not realise that they're going to be dragged into it because the threshold's going to be frozen for the next four years. But also, um, another thing that does worry me is the universal credit uplift, and I know that's not directly applicable to small businesses and self-employed people but you know the uplift in um universal credit of 20 pounds a week will end in september now if people come off that cliff edge that's 80 pounds less a month in order to pay the bills never mind getting out there and spending so i'm not quite sure we can um really assume that consumers are going to have anything to spend um, in our economy in order to try to help it recover. So I'm worried at that end as well.
0: And it's going to be an um, economy in, in much different shape to the one we went into the lockdown. You know, um, the, 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 the chip and pin is now a hundred quid. We're leaning on an open door as far as the banks are concerned. They don't want to deal with grubby things like money. They want digital banking. Um, you know, for retail, it's going to be digital. Um, There'll be benefits to this, but also I I just wonder, as you say, whether there's going to be the the will or the know-how, the the revenues to to push the economy forward. We've relied on the consumer for so many decades now. Um, I wonder how much longer we can keep on relying on the consumer.
1: But chip and pen leads people into debt because it's so difficult to keep tabs on what you're spending. And that's another that is another worry. However, that's our worry. It's a great uh, boon for a pickpockets, though. Oh.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, let's, let's look for the yes. positive here.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, but that is something that people need to be really, really careful of, because yeah. at the moment, if you can only do a certain number of, of £45 transactions, that's one way of uh, protecting customers to a certain extent. Be- between...
2: Yeah, between raising the chip and pin limit and having uh, shops that don't have any tills anymore, it's been a great week for the light finger. Yeah. You see, you uh, see,
0: this week Marks and Spencer has pulled out of, of uh, current bank accounts. They don't want to deal with grubby things like money. They just want digital banking. They don't want to get their hands dirty. Yeah, they don't but, want to have branches in shops. It's all adds to the cost, which is what the banks have been doing for the
1: past two or three years. But the uh, government has to address that access to cash because yeah. there are still people who need That's it. Right. And I um, Simon, so. Simon and Declan are here and will join the conversation. But let's go straight to our guests to see what uh, they make of the budget. Now we have Heather Self, who's a tax partner at the business advisors Blick Rothenberg and Professor Douglas McWilliams, Deputy Chairman of the Centre for Economic and Business Research. Um, Where shall we start? Sharpen your elbows, guys. Get in there. What What were your initial thoughts?
3: Start with that, Heather. As I think it was Simon said, a lot of it had been leaked beforehand. This this was not a budget full of surprises, but it's still a very bold budget. It's £65 billion more on supporting COVID. And then this big giveaway on the super deduction for capital allowances. That's where if a business spends £1,000, they get £1,300 allowed for tax. That's effectively almost 6% off any asset that you buy. It's a buy now, pay later. The corporation tax rate is going to go up significantly to 25%, but not until 2023. And that's not going to affect small businesses very much. I think this super deduction thing, though, is going to have a big impact in different ways on smaller businesses. I think what he's really trying to do is to turn the super tank around and get the big projects going faster than they would otherwise do. So it's not going to be new projects. But if you were planning to build a big offshore wind farm, or put in a lot more broadband connections or 5G masts, you're going to pull that forward to get these extra allowances. And that is going to mean needing a lot more labour. It's labour intensive industries. So it will mean that electricians, plumbers, people with good trade skills, there should be better job opportunities for them. Well, you've answered one of my biggest questions, what was going to be the knock on, the knock on effect
1: of that to small businesses and the self-employed, which has got to be good news. But does that not mean that that investment is just going to be pulled forward and then will disappear off a cliff edge?
3: When uh, Are they going to be spending be trying...
0: more or is it just being brought forward? Yes,
3: that's like, the I... question. Absolutely, I think this is mainly a pull forward. It's not going to be new expenditure. There'll be some, somebody who was thinking of buying a new laptop and it, it might now cost them £920 instead of £1,000. Yeah, they'll, they'll do that. But mostly it's going to be big projects being brought forward with the aim of getting the engine going again. The other thing that's also going to have a knock-on effect is a stamp duty change. That's not really going to affect the price that people pay for houses because the sellers will just put the price up a bit or whatever. But it will make the transactions happen, so that helps all the other people in the supply chain: the estate agents, the valuers, because it's the lodged up there.
0: They've got it yeah. lodged in their brains that this is something they're so going to be a rush in the property market, which will in turn drive prices up. Um, but you know, in two, three years' time, uh, be, you know, we'll be—you know—we'll have to see what the marketplace is like then. There'll still be a shortage, of course. And they'll still be ploughing up fields outside to put housing estates on that no one can afford to buy.
1: Well, that's the affordable housing question. Uh, Professor Mike Williams, what's your take?
4: Um, I'm an ex-professor now, I'm afraid. But uh,
1: I think the
4: Chancellor stood up, and he had two problems. The first problem was to try and make sure the economy did recover post-COVID, and the second was to sort out public finances. And I think he did a pretty good job with the first one, uh, partly for some of the reasons that we've already mentioned, and partly because, although you talk about universal credit, by the way, I'll be amazed if they don't extend it further, um, because I think a lot of people have got money burning a hole in their pockets and are looking to go out. They want to go to pubs. They want to go on holiday. They want to travel. It's already the case that 92% of all staycations in the UK for this summer have been booked out. And my guess is that uh, in the second half of this year, um, the 60% of the Brits who are better off will be partying like they've never done before. Now, the negative side of that is we could quite easily move into an inflation, into an inflationary world a bit more quickly than we otherwise would have. There's 15% more money around than there was a year ago, um, big budget deficit. These are all the classic recipes for inflation. And of course, if we have inflation, then that turns everything round. So that's what the Chancellor's got to deal with. That's his problem. I think in the short term, there'll be no problem getting the economy moving. I think the problem will be later on because if we have inflation, if we have interest rates going up, if we have to introduce austerity, then we've got a difficulty here. Do
0: you you worry also, Doug, that um with inflation, we're going to get debt as well. Personal debt's going to go up, people spending money they haven't got.
4: Well, at the moment, they've got the money to spend. At least 60% of the population have the money to spend. And that's where it's going to be difficult because you know half the population is going to be having a party. And then you've got the other lot who are actually having a pretty tough time. And so there'll be a sort of inequality. On the other hand, if you say, don't go and spend because you're worried about the other half of the population, What you're doing is condemning the people in the hospitality industry, in the pubs, and so on, to an even worse time. I mean, paradoxically, the best thing that uh, those of us who've got some money can do for those who don't have money is go off and spend it, because that will bring the jobs back in the areas, in the gig economy areas that have suffered so much. Um, But, you know, long term, inflation does look like a problem. uh, And once interest rates go up, and once they start turning off the tap on money, that's when debt starts to bite.
0: And also, you, you're, you're talking about government debt as well, because if you are going to borrow money the way that the Chancellor has, and the interest interests start to rise, it's cheap at the moment at 0%, mm. but if it starts to climb up 3%, 4 5%, it's going to make it
4: far more expensive for the government as well. Each 1% is an extra £25 billion of spending. Mm. Now, just think... Um, translate that into income tax, translate that into hospitals, translate that into money on the NHS. Um, It's not comfortable.
3: Can I just ask a question there, probably one for Douglas. I thought the government had taken quite a lot of long-dated debt, so they've actually locked in their interest rates and they're not as vulnerable to the the rates changing as they might be.
4: Uh, Yeah, they've been very, I mean, quite a lot of things. The government's done pretty well. And the thing that you described, which is the pushing out of the, matu- uh, uh, of the maturity spectrum, that has been brilliant. And they've roughly half insulated them, themselves compared to where they were previously. So that has made the, uh, the debt situation a lot less uh, worrying from the point of view of interest. But you know, half the debt is pretty well floating rate debt or is index linked or something like that. And they just get hit. When, uh, uh, when the rate goes up. And you know, them being hit means we are hit because it means either squeeze services or else higher taxes.
5: Can I jump in here, uh, Douglas? I, I just wanted to go back to the, uh, the growth. Um, those OBR o- figures that he, he uh, announced in the budget, uh, like 4% growth this year, 74 next year, and then suddenly 23%, we are right back To about 1.7 and the next four or five years after that well below what governments have wanted the uh, the economy to grow so it looks as if we are going to have a bit of a boom time and then we're going to sort of have a bit of a bust and that is as the tax increases are coming in so that must be a big worry and secondly um he didn't really say much in the budget about expenditure normal Government expenditure, not, not covered expenditure, but normal uh, on things like the health service, on, on, on social care, all these big issues that have to be dealt with, um, which makes me wonder whether, you know, is he going to have to tax higher or is he going to borrow more in the long run? So, OK, we may be looking good for maybe the next year and a half or so, but it looks pretty grim from 23 onwards, doesn't it?
4: It does look uncomfortable, and that's assuming that he can manage um, a soft landing, because uh, what it's basically saying is we get back to full capacity and then growth uh, meanders along at its sort of traditional rate. Now, you've made to me, I think, two rather important points. One is, do the sums add up? And the answer is they don't. And the second is, how can we get off this really very sluggish growth path because to provide all the services that we want, we need something like two and a half, three percent 3% growth. And there's nothing in the budget that seems to me to be pushing it that way. In fact, the higher corporation tax is probably going to make it more difficult to achieve this because, you know, it makes us, I think we're now down to number 37 in the international tax competitiveness uh, league table. If you're a, an overseas investor, um, it's very, it's not very tempting to come to post-Brexit UK um, when you see that far from being Singapore on temps, we're actually uh, going in the opposite direction and putting up our temps. So yeah, I think I I totally agree with you, Simon, that um, it looks good today and in the opinion polls today, but in a couple of years' time, um, a lot of my friends are saying they're going to try and sneak in an election before the problems emerge. Uh,
2: That's my view as well, Douglas. Simon, you were saying that in our uh, post-budget yeah. podcast yeah. at six o'clock on uh, Wednesday night, and then imagine our delight when we saw it in all the newspapers okay. the next day. So, uh, hats off to Simon McVicker for leading uh, the pack on that that one. Don't give him any more praise, Liz. Barclay, they were all <laughs> they were all listening. They his were head all is listening to what Simon is had is. to say. <laughs> I'm, 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 I've got a couple of questions on debt, but i'll uh, uh, on, on on the debt for Doug. But I'll come back to those in a little moment. It's Just picking up that thread about the impact of the rising corporation tax. Heather, I think your uh, insight on this would be really helpful because when the Chancellor stood up on Wednesday, he said most small businesses, if not all small businesses, won't be affected by this. I think he said seven out of 10 businesses won't be affected by higher corporation tax rates, higher tax on company profits. Was he right?
3: So that rate starts to come in if profits are over £50,000 a year, and it then increases gradually. So the full impact is if it's over £250,000. And he did, he said about 70% of businesses are less than that. So a large proportion of businesses in the UK are what you might call one man or one woman company. If you've got a company which is your personal service company, and so on, £50,000 is probably a reasonable estimate of what your profits might be for a lot of businesses. That 25% is really going to hit the big businesses, though. And I know everybody loves to hate the Googles and Amazons, but they have invested a lot in a lot of jobs in the UK. Will they up sticks and go? Probably not. But when they want to do the next expansion, will they choose to do it in the UK or will they pick France or Germany or wherever? But just to come back the other way, Douglas, the UK's rate at 25 percent is not terribly high by historic standards. We were in the 20 percent all the way through the the 90s and we're still going to be crucially lower than the US. Biden has said he's going to go to 28 percent. So 25 doesn't look too bad. And I think we will see France. Germany, other major European economies, probably having to put their rates up for similar reasons to us. So I think we probably still stay at least in the middle of the pack longer term. Heather, uh, don't, sorry, sorry quick,
0: Just a quick one, Heather. These net profit, these profits you're talking about with, with small businesses, 50,000, is that net or gross? Net. Right, that's OK. So it gives you a bit more wriggle room, in actual
4: fact if you look at the two countries in Europe that have it's, the highest receipts in corporation tax, um, they're actually the countries with the lowest rates of corporation tax. It's always an inverse relationship between your rate of corporation tax and the amount of money you make out of it. And of course, the UK system, because we have much more limited deductions than on the continent, uh, 25% in the UK makes it a much tougher uh, proposition than 26 or 27% in France or Germany. So I hear what you say, Heather, I think this is an area where we have slightly different uh, uh, perceptions. And who knows in the end, which of us is going to be proved right. But if uh, if I'm right, the Chancellor's got a problem because his numbers say that corporation tax receipts this year are 40 billion, okay, in sort of depressed times. He's expecting in 25, 26, for that to double to 80 billion. And that's a crucial part of his budget if he doesn't get that additional 40 billion from higher corporation tax. He's in real trouble. His sums just don't add up.
3: It's fair to say that as the corporate tax rate has come down over the last few years, the total receipts have stayed the same because they've broadened the base. Corporate tax is typically about 10% of the UK's total tax base, which on a long run average is 60 to 70 billion. So I don't think it's unrealistic to expect it to be 80 billion in a few years time. But as others have said, it wouldn't at all surprise me to see an election come along and let's guess what will go back down again.
2: Heather, so we've talked about the uh, impact uh, all of the way along the supply chain of that tax incentive to invest in plant and equipment over the next two years. We've talked about corporation tax. What about some of the other measures in there for smaller businesses? There was talk about help for apprenticeships, help for uh, management training for businesses that uh, uh, wanted. There was the extension of the VAT holiday and the business rate holiday. What stood out for you?
3: So the big numbers, as you say, are the business rates and VAT. He's extending the business rate holiday for another three months and then giving people a two thirds deduction for the rest of the year. That's worth almost seven billion a year. So it's still a big number. And VAT, particularly for the hospitality and tourism industry, he's continuing with the 5% for now. And then it's going to go to twelve and a half percent. And there were a couple of mutterings yesterday that can kind of computers cope with a 12 and a half percent. I don't think we've had that rate since the the late 1970s and then um, the other measures the training he's talking quite a lot about high quality traineeships and the payments for new apprenticeships that's now going to be for new apprenticeships between April and the 30th of September it's £3,000 per new hire and that's apprenticeships of any age and I do think I've got a good friend who uh, works on business apprenticeships at one of the universities I think apprenticeships are a thing which are going to become more popular among young people. Just going to university to do a degree doesn't necessarily lead to a better job. Going to a university and doing a degree apprenticeship potentially gives you the skills already matched to an employer. So I can see that being an area that a lot of young people will be considering. Heather, was there much, much, um,
0: you know, they, they say the devil is in the detail. Was there much difference between his speech and what appeared in the Grey Book
3: afterwards? Um, less than there usually is, I think it's fair to say. Uh, I The first thing I do, and tip for anybody else who ever wants to go into the detail of a budget, there's a table called Table 2.1, which lists the costs of every budget measure. And quite often you look down that and you go, oh, that one's more than I thought it was. I think it was Declan who said earlier, the the um, freezing of personal allowances brings in £8 billion just in one year in 2025-26.
0: And with, with capital investment, I mean, you, you mentioned Amazon, Google and the like, and, and you're quite right. These companies have invested vast sums of money in technology, employment, training, um, you know, but they're all American companies. And in Britain, sounding unpopular, um, I've always found British companies drag their feet when it comes to investment. He thinks that British companies are now going to take advantage of these rising taxes and offset it with the investment. Is that likely to be the case? Because there's a big difference between Amazon investing and the nuts and screw and bolt manufacturer down the road doing the same thing.
3: But if you think about AstraZeneca, who've had fantastic success in developing the vaccine, that's surely going to incentivize them to continue spending on R&D. Um, BT, I believe their share price went up the other day. They're going to be spending large amounts on technology. I think BT are one of the biggest um acquirers of patents in the country they they're constantly doing technology i think this is aimed at getting the big businesses to spend more in britain
0: yeah i mean in fairness astrazeneca has done very well but the drug companies in general used to develop their own drugs they now buy the the small companies that develop the drugs so they're buying other people's ideas and paying the premium for it Um, if this changes the course Um, for these companies and they go back to research and development Then I think that's probably a a positive to come out of it.
3: I think, diverting from the budget for a moment, the the experience of just how fast the vaccines have developed and the boost that's given and how much of that has been UK driven has been fantastic and I hope that's something we'll see more of.
1: And I think we, I think that's been borne out by a lot of the people we've talked to over the past few weeks. Uh, Douglas, I know you've been desperately trying to get in there.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, the conversation keeps moving on. I think uh, the, the new model where you've got sort of spin-outs from universities that develop things like vaccines and drugs actually has served the UK pretty well. And we've seen this in the vaccine rollout. So I didn't, I'm not sure that having sort of large research labs, Mickey, of the kind that they used to have is anything like as good as having really bright people at the universities developing something and then taking a spin-off. And so I I, I just think the world's moved on. I also feel from the budget that we're still in a spot, that Whitehall hasn't quite appreciated how much the world has changed. Now, I started working on Crossrail 30 years ago. Crossrail is still not running. We ought to be planning for what's 30 years ahead And I don't see anything in the budget about autonomous vehicles, about road pricing, about um, sort of uh, flying cars, which may seem a bit fantastic. But uh, every building, every high building in Sao Paulo now has to have a heliport. I don't see very much of thinking about the future. I mean, the rail projects are all about sort of um, make do and mend really. Uh, we really need now to think about rail from the point of view of connectivity rather than capacity. And I think the, hundred, the, the super de- de- uh, uh, deduction, the 130% tax allowance, I think it will have an impact on 5G. But what is there other than that uh, that's actually going to uh, help us move to a more tech-based economy because I think everyone agrees that's the only place we can go to.
1: Um, Douglas, just so you know, uh, 2022 uh, opening for Crossrail. The boss says today, according to Declan, he's just. <laughs> Did you
2: say Crossrail <laughs> so or that? HS2? Uh, crossrail. Cro- cro- oh. crossrail, but only the middle bit. If you want to go outside <laughs> to the midside side, London. You still have to change onto an get a bus. Yeah, get a bus. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, and, Bring your and own wheelbarrow. <laughs> and also, Douglas, uh, we were talking to uh, a company that makes the vertical. um uh, It's called Vertical Aerospace, but makes the flying cars. I suppose, for want of a better way of ex- oh, the explaining pack, it. Yeah. Yes, and they're hoping uh, they're hoping to launch in September. So um, you know, we yes, as you say, technology is where the future is, and I think that was my first question. It was there enough. <laughs> emphasis on that the budget Simon you're desperately yeah. trying to get in
5: I want to, I want to go back to small businesses and I want to ask yeah. Heather a question I was listening um, last night to to uh, another podcast where our friend Emma Jones from Enterprise Nation was on and I mean she's usually quite supportive of the government but what she was saying was her concern was that the budget is making small businesses more and more reliant on on government loans and grants and, and indeed taking on more debt. And she says she thinks this is a really bad thing. She would like to see the companies freed up to get into the you know, into the whatever marketplace they are and go for it, you know, internationally, etc. Uh and, and so she says she's got some real concerns over the direction of travel of making these smaller companies much more dependent on the government.
3: He did say there's going to be a whole raft of consultations on the 23rd of March, and there's a big issue around the taxation of employees versus self-employed versus personal companies, and the economists have said for ages that the tax system is just mad, because if you've got the same job producing £40,000 of profit, the tax and national insurance bill is very different depending on whether that's done as an employee with full employer's national insurance, self-employed with some national insurance or taken out as dividends with no national insurance. And that disparity is a really, really tough nut for any Chancellor to crack. And I'm, I'm still waiting to see whether he's a Chancellor who's good at you know, throwing big sums of money around and reacting to emergencies or whether he's going to take that strategic view.
5: And and uh, why do you think he's taking such a hard line on these excluded people, the you know the one-person limited companies, etc.?
3: The initial answer was because it was difficult to do it and protect against fraud. So the. The furlough scheme for employees came out very fast because you can base that on real-time filing of pay-as-you-earn records, so you can match up the numbers. There's still a risk of fraud in that. They're still looking into that, but basically you can build a robust system quickly. The self-employed scheme, he did quite well. That was probably more generous than people were expecting, but he had to base that on tax returns that were getting on for two years old. He's updated that in the budget, but to do it for... The small companies, even though these are people who have done absolutely nothing wrong, they are paying their taxes. The tax records don't clearly show the amount which you can identify as earnings. If you just said we'll treat dividends in the same way, well, what about people who are just sitting on an investment property and taking out dividends? How do you distinguish between the two? It was a difficult systems problem initially. He could have fixed that by now. He's had a year to do it. Um, I worked with the Institute of Directors. Uh, last May, and we came up with a way that we thought you could build a system. I know there's been another proposal put forward, which has been pushed very, very hard. He is showing quite a lot of determination not to bow to pressure. Um, I think it's really tough on those directors. But what it's doing is highlighting that the tax system pushes people to structure their income in a particular way and if he can find a way to solve that problem then it becomes easier to make the system more flexible and actually potentially there's a suggestion that yeah. you put more national insurance on the yeah. self-employed, but then you let them claim more allowances. So they end up back in the same place, but without yes. the anomalies. It's I, a really tough problem.
5: Uh, you know, back in business is call for a fundamental review of small business taxation, including self-employment. And, uh, you know, I think our, our tax system is 100 years out of date, basically. But um, I did notice some some of the excluded people were saying that actually only 150,000 more people will benefit from the self-employment scheme and there was something wasn't there in the red book about uh, them reviewing national insurance uh, levels which seems to suggest they are looking at the self-employed.
3: The, the biggest hint was when he introduced the self-employed s- scheme mm-hmm. and when he talked about the excluded very, very early on. And this was mm. one of his announcements back in last April or May when he said those who pay less tax should expect less support yes. With his broad yeah. message, which is a very tough message when people haven't done anything wrong in the past. I do think he may be going to take a s- fundamental look at this we'll have to see in a couple of weeks.
5: Yes, I agree. I think also the other thing is that a lot of self-employed people would have said up until now they don't want any help. But this has been such a catastrophe for them and they are paying tax, let's face it. They are paying tax.
1: Yeah, well, it's people it's people like us. Yeah. <laughs> around around this table who yeah. uh you know are self-employed uh, and have been paying tax. Can I just ask you about the furlough scheme because um I have just uh, been talking to the ifs this morning and they uh, the furlough scheme of course is extended Um, there are still around about uh, 5.2 million people we think on the furlough scheme Uh, one in five of private sector employees but for a lot of small businesses this has been uh, you know a lifeline Uh, we don't know what's going on behind the shutters on the high street Um, They reckon 2 million in the final month will still be on furlough in September, Uh, but the OBR is saying 300,000 rise in unemployment. Uh, Is that feasible, or are we actually downplaying the possibility of higher
3: unemployment? Do you want to go to Douglas on that one? Yes.
4: (laughs) Um, Well, I've been optimistic about the pace of recovery, The OBR thinks that a lot of the recovery happens next year, not this year. I think that we'll be kids out of school and we'll spend, we're really going to spend and party like there's no party before. Um, And actually, spending will rise very dramatically uh, as lockdown ends. And I think if that's so, uh, the 300,000 may even be a high estimate. Um, As I said earlier, I think the The best thing you can do for people in the gig economy who've lost their jobs is go out and spend, and go out and spend with with them and with their employers, and that will get them back to work pretty damn quick, I think. Um, We've also got a fascinating conundrum, which is about three-quarters of a million people have left the economy. Uh, Most of them have gone abroad. Most of them are EU-based workers. Most of them have the right to come back here. Um, Will they come back? Because if they don't come back, we could move very quickly to a situation where we're not worried about unemployment, we're worried about labour force because we won't have a labour force. And that's where my fears of inflation picking up, which will lead to higher bond yields, which will lead to higher debt costs, etc. That's where these things can happen. Is that because you have,
0: your wage bill will be higher, Douglas? Is that what you're saying? That because you haven't got a workforce, you have to pay more for what's there, and yep. therefore
4: that forces costs up. That forces costs up, that forces prices up. Then you've got inflation, and then you've got um, the markets pushing up uh, interest rates, and you've also got the Bank of England probably having to act, the monetary policy committee having to push up interest rates. Once that happens, as I said, everything is based at the moment on assuming that the economy can get back to where we were before and then carry on growing steadily at a pretty sluggish rate. But the real world doesn't go like that. You normally have, you normally, when you hit the buffers, it actually is much more painful than
3: that. All the
1: but time. Douglas, Douglas, this is also where I worry about skills. And I think we're not paying, we're not giving enough thought to what the shape of the economy is going to look like, because it's not going to look like what it was as we were going in. So getting back to what is always my question. Declan, you're trying to get. Oh, it's got, I
2: was just, just on that, what is the role of small business in developing the skills base? of the country because it's difficult if you, Doug, as you know, if you've got a handful of people uh, on the payroll, to take one of them out for a day's training is enormously disruptive. So what should the small business owners and the entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast, when we talk about skills,
4: what should they be doing about it? Well, I can just give you an example from my own business. Um, in four hours' time, we're taking an hour and a half out for the whole the, con- the whole company to have a training session, and we do that on our Fridays, and um, it disrupts everything because we've all got Friday deadlines, like most people have. But um, we insist that, um, and you know, as manager, I can force that on them, fortunately still. (laughs) One day I won't be able to, I'm sure. Um, That they take time out to learn. And I think it's a huge responsibility for employers to train their staff. One sort of good thing from our point of view is that in the COVID period, we've actually lost their staff because the biggest disincentive to an employer, to training people, is if you train them, they they then move on. So if you can keep turnover at reasonable levels, it's much easier to persuade yourself it's a good investment in training uh, to go and train your staff.
3: I just wanted to point out there was one snippet in the the budget detail about the the apprenticeship support, and it's only a small measure, it's a pilot scheme, but they're going to um, introduce a £7 million fund to help employers set up and expand portable apprenticeships, the idea that people could work on multiple projects with different employers. And there's one or two schemes like this already. I have another friend who's involved with an organisation that provides um, management training places um, across the, the food industry but it's not one employer it's 50 employers who all agree to take um, trainees on for six months at a time in their business so I think new models and the fact that we've all learned just how much you can do remotely and working differently I think say how can you make it work rather than going back to what we used to do before
1: can I just ask um about young people, because you may, if you're watching, you may notice that Ben, Ollie, and George are uh, fairly young. And my big concern is- Relative to us, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think overall, to be honest. <laughs> but, you know, my big concern <laughs> is they're, go- they're going to be paying for this for a very, very long time to come. Um, give them some hope.
4: The world I think- is going to be very sorry the, the world is going to be very
1: tech-based
4: as we move through. and uh, people like the older people on this call um, are going to have much more difficulty coping. The future is with the young because they're going to be the only people who can do the tech that will be the jobs of the future. I think the first half of what we've seen so far, Um, has disproportionately badly affected young people. It's given them fewer opportunities. If they're in education, they've been ripped off in some ways quite badly. Um, And in terms of jobs, they've often had very much less training and very much less contacts and so on to help them move forward. My sense is the next phase will be one where the older people get disproportionately badly affected because I think everyone is going to try and gear up to a much more technological future. And once that happens, the likes of us who find it very difficult to switch on the Zoom call, we are going to have, we're going to be the ones that get kicked out. I
0: I resemble that remark, Douglas. (laughs) He's
2: he's looking at you, Mickey.
4: Other than Declan, who still looks young, um, (laughs) I think that we are going to be the people who will be stepping aside and brilliant younger people will take our jobs. And I think that's great. Um, Sorry to say this to everyone.
2: So it's already happen happened
4: for me. <laughs> the stage. Why
2: not?
1: Well, uh, Ben, Ollie, uh, George, before you get any ideas about bumping us off, <laughs> off, <laughs> older people can be quite
3: expensive.
5: Exactly. <laughs> <do>. <laughs> uh, Heather, uh, was, I,
1: Heather I, was saying
2: something there yeah, as well. Yeah, Heather was trying.
3: I was going to say that that there are issues within the tax system that are intergenerational issues. So there's a triple lock for pensioners, which means that the state pension goes up by the lowest of inflation, rising wages or two and a half percent. And the way that the pandemic has worked, that means that pensioners are going to get a double bonus because they'll get the guaranteed 2.5% this year. Next year, if, as expected, wages bounce back, I think the figure is an expected rise of 4.6%. Now, that's great for me, but that means that the tax system is supporting the older ones, whereas the younger people... A lot of them have got student debt. And if you've got student debt, that's effectively already giving you an extra 9% tax, rise, tax rate on your earnings over about 26,000. So never mind whoever it was saying that the the 40% rate being frozen, young people are already paying 29%, not 20%, plus national insurance. A lot of them are already paying 40%. Yep. When you put it like that. Um...
2: I'm glad I'm <laughs> old.
1: <laughs> <A fairly laughs> scary figure. All right. Uh, as a final thought, um, what, what wasn't in the budget that you would
3: like to have seen? What trick has he missed? It's not a trick that he's missed, but I think it's coming down the line. He did not address capital gains tax. And there was a lot of rumour beforehand. He had a big study done with the Office of Tax Simplification. At the moment, capital gains tax is still much lower than income tax. I think he's got his eye on that one for the future.
0: Do you think that's because of the, the government's current wrangle over the City of London, which is, would be badly affected by, by any movements in capital gains upwards? Is that why he's put it off, do you think, or is it something he just hasn't got clear in his mind?
3: It's quite hard to do, and I think it's a case of where he thinks he can get some money from. This government has said it won't put up the basic rates of income tax, national insurance and VAT. So what else has he got to go for? He's gone for companies. Capital gains tax is a way that he could raise more money.
4: I, I think the big thing we're going to have to sort of is, is road pricing. Uh, we're going to have to find a way of paying for our transport that is much more equitable than the past. Now, the chancellor did one thing, which is he froze fuel duty. Some people liked that, some people didn't. Had he not frozen it, it would have hit mainly people out of London, mainly people in the north of the country, and mainly the poorest people. But um, nevertheless, how are we going to move to paying for the use of the roads as we move towards autonomous vehicles, as we move towards electric vehicles? this is a big real-life problem, and I would have thought that the Chancellor could have started on this in this budget, and I'm a bit disappointed he didn't.
1: But Douglas, is that not part of the bigger net zero um, question, you know, uh, moving to zero emissions, moving to a green economy, um, and perhaps there wasn't as much as we expected in the budget on any of that?
4: Moving to zero is quite costly, and that also is a budgetary issue. Also, moving away from um, a sort of an analog economy to a digital economy is also quite costly in terms of tax. There are a lot of tax leakages that emerge from that. Moving to working at home, that also creates tax leakages as well, because going to work. You put a lot of money into public transport and that kind of thing, which if people don't go to work and don't commute, then you have to subsidize the public transport. That gets expensive. So um, I think it's going to be quite hard to make the sums add up as we move through into the future. And I wish they'd started looking at some of the issues to do with that um, uh, in this budget, because the later we start, the more painful it will be to adjust.
1: Well, there's obviously a lot more to come. Um, So uh, as you say, Heather, there's a consultation starting or or thinking starting on the 23rd of March, I think you said, around about the taxation system for small businesses. So obviously we'll keep an eye on that. And hopefully we'll talk to both of you again in the future about future developments. Thank you, Douglas and Heather, very, very much indeed for joining us. Um, Declan, Simon. Uh, Was there anything of note this week? Was there anything else other than the budget?
2: Yeah, in the uh, (laughs) real world, we've seen uh, technology uh, march on. Uh, Traditional industries such as banking continue to retrench in Northern Ireland. The Bank of Ireland said it was closing half its branches uh, across the UK. Marks & Spencer is closing down its network of branches. There only were 30 of them or so in the stores, but it's a sign that the supermarkets have had it with their dalliance with the banking industry. Sainsbury and Tesco have already pulled out, uh, to some extent, from their financial escapades. Uh, but then alongside that, technology uh, and its march continues. We have, from Amazon, a physical Uh, grocery store uh, with no tills. You use an app to get in, it's cameras and scales on the shelves, monitor what you put in your basket and then it uh, deducts money from your credit card on the way out. I thought there was a hopeful note in that for the high street because, apart from the technology, uh, it told us that here is Amazon, this big all-conquering giant that has totally revolutionized slash ruined the book selling industry, electronics, and a whole host of other retail retailers. It's been trying to get into grocery for a very long time. It's had partnerships with British supermarkets. And this store, I think, is the white flag. Is It's Amazon saying the only way you can crack the grocery market in Britain up against Tesco and Sainsbury and Morrisons and ASDA is by having an actual store. So that shows there is still a purpose to the shop.
1: Um, Possibly, but the other thing that slightly concerns me is that there are lots of people who are not digital, can't use digital, don't have access to digital for whatever reason. Um, It just feels sometimes as if it's all moving a bit too fast and people will get left behind.
5: Well, that's that's what technology does. It's been ever thus. I mean, from my point of view, I just think it's really interesting to see the transformation in Boris Johnson's prospects in recent weeks. I mean, at the beginning of the year, he was almost down and out, but the vaccine rollout has been so fantastic, and seems to be far ahead of any other country, that um, he's now riding the crest of a wave. Uh, The budget measures, I think in the short term, most people will like them, and we can see the opinion polls showing that. Um, I think it'll all come home to roost in two years, two and a half years' time. That's why I think there'll be an early general election. But also, look at it as opposition. Where are they? Where are their big ideas? They're nowhere. They're really drowning at the moment. Mm -hmm. And in Scotland, you've got the SNP tearing each other apart, which might actually stop independence. So in a way, things have transformed in the first couple of months of this year. And... um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens.
1: Mickey, you had a thought in the middle of all that. I well,
0: there, 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 there was a number of thoughts. I mean, we talked about technology moving on. Car industry is a classic example. We're switching hmm. to electric by 2030. No infrastructure in place. The product's far from serviceable at the moment that you're being offered and it's bloody expensive. And as Doug said, as uh, sorry, Simon said, as, as far as um, Boris Johnson's concerns, concerned, um, what at the moment is the alternative to a Conservative government? Um, you know, we, we've said before that this could have been Boris Johnson's Falkland Islands, the the the, the jabs uh, situation. Um, I think there has been a lot of change in the first two or three months of this year. Um, how it's going to pan out at the end of the year, of course, is, is anybody's guess. But at least people are now upbeat and talking about a return to normal and i think that'll benefit all of us in the long run whether we're skint or not
1: so we're going to start talking up the confidence now that's the thing to do we've got to build the business confidence otherwise people are not going to invest um and that's, well, that's our and, job from here on in. And, you know,
5: just talking to people, you know, on everyday way, uh, people are now more upbeat. Yeah. They're yeah. actually beginning to talk about holidays. You know, the news from Cyprus this morning that they want British tourists back uh, by May. You know, this is all going to build confidence. Okay. Yeah, but it's only
2: people who are vaccinated. That means a, a slightly older crowd than IANAPA is probably used to.
5: Well, yes, but I think <laughs> the government plans to have most of us vaccinated by uh, the summer.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: Okay, there we leave it. Um, thanks everybody so much, uh, Douglas and Heather. Thanks, thanks a lot, Simon Declan, um, and of course Mickey. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll be back on the virtual road. We'll be in Newcastle for the nightlife. Um, those, those of Whoa. us, are, those of us, are <laughs> stay awake long vaccine, enough. Vaccinated, <laughs> yeah, can can stay yeah. wait long Don't enough. Leave,
2: leave your coats at home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and uh if you want to know what we've been up to we did a quick budget roundup on wednesday straight after the budget you can hear that you can hear all our conversations interviews and podcasts on backinbusiness.org.uk. Uh i'll be talking to mp for newbury uh, laura farris very soon on women and work in a special podcast for international women's day and we'll also be talking this week to Stephen Rotherham, Steve Rotherham, the Metro Mayor of the Liverpool City region, about vision, his vision for the city region's economic recovery and beyond. If you want to take part, comment, then please do get in touch. Email us, contact us at backinbusiness.org.uk. Find us on LinkedIn and Twitter. We'll see you next week. And thanks to Ben, Ollie and George for keeping the show on the road.